0: Everybody, to the newest episode of penpodcast.com. I'm your host, Matthew Harms, founder of Pen for Hire, where we offer premier ghostwriting and author coaching services. Also, the creators of the Pen Podcast, where we sit with writers, authors, writing industry professionals, subject matter experts, and all around interesting people. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Mary Fran Bontempo. How are you, Mary Fran? I'm great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. It is my pleasure. Where are you joining us from? I am actually just
1: outside of Philadelphia, which in true Philadelphia fashion is dreary and cranky this time of year. So nice to have a friendly, happy face to talk to.
0: Well, you're not alone. I was actually telling one of my clients who's not from this part of the country because we're right outside of New York. I don't think I've seen the sun since 2022.
1: Oh my gosh, it's honestly, you're absolutely right. I said that the other day, like what, did it disappear on us? Where is it? But yeah, it's, so you know, I mean, we're East Coasters, so this is what happens in the winter.
0: Yeah, the the New Year's forecast was like, oh, you'll see the sun in spring.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Keep your shades drawn, pull them up, whatever. It doesn't matter, you're not gonna see the sun anyway. There
0: you go, put on some bright interior lighting and you're good. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm so happy you could be here. Um, If you'd be so kind, just tell everyone a little bit about your background, how you got into writing, and then we'll dive into some of your books.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I always, always been interested in writing from the time that I was a kid, I enter writing contests and things like that just because the idea, I was shy and and believe it or not, nobody, whoever i say this to believes it, but I actually am still somewhat reserved and shy. Although you learn as you get older. To put on that persona, you know, when you have to get out there and talk to people. But writing was a really, really good way for me to just get my own thoughts out on, on paper. And I was a bit socially awkward, too. So I could be funny on paper when I was tripping over myself, when I actually had to have conversation with people. So it kind of, I've always written... And just, you know, as I, interestingly enough, never really thought about it for a career until I got a little bit older because I was teaching for a while. And then things started to happen in my life. And I thought, you know what? I, <laughs> I think every writer can confirm the fact that if you're a writer, you get to a point and you feel like your head's going to explode if you don't write something down. Like you just, you absolutely have to write. And that was the point that it kind of got to with me. I thought, you know, I was kind of piddling around with it. And I thought, I just, I just have to make an, an honest good to goodness effort at this. And honestly, I came about that, you know, on the later side, because I had kids young and you get involved in all that kind of stuff. So I don't think it was until I was in my, I'll say late thirties, early forties, maybe that I really started writing in earnest. And that kind of took the form of newspaper columns and then morphed into books.
0: Wow. So it definitely seems like we, we have a very shared background because I as well writing since I was a kid, I always thought that's what I would do when I would when I grew up. But growing up in New York, that wasn't considered a real job. It was like, yes, oh, you go to school, like, you can't be a writer. So I, I put it on the back burner until probably like 35 ish 40.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for whatever reason, I mean, my generation, if you, especially if you were a woman, you were either going to be a nurse, a teacher, or you were going to be like in the administrative assistant kind of you know, arena.
0: Yeah. It's almost like we get pigeonholed into these stereotypes of what society thinks we're supposed to do. And I think too many of us, I mean, myself and clearly you, we, we let them
1: well, yeah. And I, but I think, you know, you naturally, you want to be practical and let's, you know, if, if we're, if we're being totally honest, writing is not the easiest way to make a living. It, it's not, it's challenging. And thankfully the internet is the blessing of our existence and the best somebody who can hit a key on a keyboard, you know, suddenly thinks that they're a writer and there's a lot of stuff out there, but it's not all good. And it does take an extra effort to get good work out there, even though you do have the greater access to an audience than we ever did before. So it's really kind of an interesting balancing act, the way you have to approach the whole idea of writing, especially if you're going to make a living at it.
0: I tell everybody that exact same thing. And I I actually narrow it down a little more to the self-publishing options that are available. I I think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to us, but at the same time, the worst thing that's ever happened to us Mm Right, with great power comes great responsibility. Just because anyone can put a book out doesn't mean everybody should put a book out. out.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I I will say that everyone has a story to tell. I I would never go (laughs) so far as to say that somebody doesn't have something worthwhile to say. But if you aren't a writer and and you self-publish and I self-published, you got to understand self-publishers will publish the back of a cereal box if that's what you give them. I mean, they're, they're, they don't care what you wrote. They just, you know, they just put it out there. So if if you're going to do it, first of all, if you're going to write, don't start out writing to get rich. Because unless you're J.K. Rowling and you suddenly come up with the next Harry Potter, the odds of that are enormously against you. That doesn't mean you can't make a living as a writer, but you aren't going to get a movie deal four years in. right. So, you know, you have to be practical about it, but you you also have to be that anybody who writes something has to recognize people are judging you. They're judging your work. So make sure that it's professional, that it's done well. And if you can't do it yourself, get somebody else and always, always, always get an editor.
0: Always. For my audience, I swear we did not script this behind the scenes. I did not pay Mary Fran to say that, but that is a recurring message in all of my podcasts, in all of my conversations. It's really one of the reasons I started Pen for Hire is like you, I believe everyone has a story to tell, but if you're not telling you, if you're not capable and that's fine because I can't, I can't play music. I can't draw. If I needed to do that, I'd get somebody who could hire a professional. Even if you can write, hire an editor because your story loses so much of its impact when it comes across as not well-written. Exactly.
1: And, and, you know, we all have idiosyncrasies. Many of us, at least I start out often writing the way I speak. Well, somebody has got to fix that because (laughs) nobody, nobody, I mean, unless you're doing a fictional character or whatever, that's got like some colloquialisms or, or whatever, you have to be, aware of your audience every step of the way, and and it has to be clear, your writing has to be clear. And like anything else, when you write something, you project. So you may be projecting things into your work that aren't there or aren't clear to a reader. An editor will pick that up. You need other eyes on your work. You just need it. And you have to be willing to have a thick enough skin if they go, you got to fix this.
0: you know, I, I want to, for the audience who may be like, what is she talking about? Like, I want to relate that to anyone who's a master at what they do, right? A master chef can try to give someone instructions on how to create the dish that they're known for. They're going to leave out, not on purpose, but because they do it so often, little key things where the person that's trying to replicate it can't. Whereas another chef could come in and say, wait a second, you skip that step.
1: Or you need to make
0: that clearer so they understand. And it's it's the absolute same thing with writing. You're too close to it.
1: Well, exactly. And and again, to your point, you do it so often. And most of us, all of us, I would venture to say, even fiction writers bring parts of ourselves to the story that are within us, that are internal, that we don't even necessarily recognize in ourselves. But in order to make that story, whatever it is, fact fiction or somewhere in the middle, uh, clear, you have to make sure that the audience gets all of that. And that's not going to be visible unless you have somebody else asking you the questions that you didn't answer in the first draft.
0: Oh man. I I love that. And as a writer, really it's your job to be receptive to those questions. Right. I think you have to be able to listen just if not twice as good as you write because to shut things down. No one's poking holes in something. If someone doesn't get something for you to say, oh, well, whatever, that's just you. It's probably not just that person. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you have to have
1: someone that you have a good relationship with. It's not always the first editor that you hire or whomever that you, that you have a good working relationship with. There has to be some compatibility there and you have to kind of get each other. So it it may take a little bit of time, but it is never a step that should be skipped. Never ever ever
0: (laughs) right even if you as by trade are a professional editor and you decide to write a book hire another editor
1: somebody else has to look at it and I I would venture to guess professional editors would be the first ones to say that you know like hey I need other eye. you just need other eyes on it I mean that's why people collaborate and work in teams. (laughs) another pair of eyes a new perspective can always bring something to the table or take something off of the table,
0: which is another thing that we have to do. (laughs) I mean, we offer writing and editing services. I'm the first to say, if I worked, if I worked on writing the project, I will not edit it. Someone on my team has to do it. If they did the writing, then I'll edit it. We're, I know I'm guilty of this myself, which is why I, I love editors taking stuff out. Like once as writers, you put it on paper, you're married, like you cannot take the word away. You gave birth to it. It doesn't matter if it's the dumbest word ever. We just don't like to take things off.
1: We love our, we, we love words. We love our, our, you know, it's just going to sound ridiculous and other writers will understand it, but really very little makes me happier than a really great phrase or something that I put in there that even after I read it, it makes me laugh very little, but And I forget who it was. I don't know if it was Faulkner. It was somebody who said, we have to kill our darlings. We have to be willing to kill our darlings. And it feels like that. It feels like you're just, you know, cutting something off at the knees. But very often, like save it, save the phrase, save the thing, save it for someplace else. But if it doesn't work, you have to be willing to kill your darlings.
0: Thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com, produced by Pen for Hire one of the best things about independent publishing is that anyone can publish a book. But one of the worst things about independent publishing is that anyone can publish a book. Don't fall into the trap of trying to master the process on your own for the first time and think you can compete with authors who have already figured it all out. Let us help you put out the best possible book. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get your free consultation today. And now back to the interview. So I have what I like to call the proverbial graveyard. It's, it's a <laughs> Word document that is just everything, and it's, it's organized by, you know, everything I've cut from every book or movie I've ever written. This was my way of dealing with it. So it's not in the original, but I didn't get rid of it. It lives somewhere.
1: It has to live somewhere. I mean, if it's something that you feel that strongly about, there's clearly some sort of an emotional attachment to it. And that brings us to the other point that emotion and reaching readers in an emotional way, even if it's a even if you're not writing a fiction book, if it's a factual book or whatever, or nonfiction, whatever you want to phrase it, reaching Reaching readers in some sort of an emotional way is really, really an important way to connect. So as writers, it's hard for us to get rid of something that we feel like is going to the heart of it, but there also can be too much. You have to let the reader be willing to discover things. You can't just, you know, that part of the joy of reading is is wanting to get to that next line, you know, without having somebody just dump everything at you and say, okay, figure this out. (laughs)
0: No one wants to go to watch a movie and find out how it ends in the first 10 minutes. Exactly. There's a deliciousness about
1: everything about getting to the next line, if
0: it's well-written. 100%. So on the well-written topic, Mary Fern, what is your genre of choice? Let's get into a little bit of your writing, and maybe we'll start with your first book. Like What prompted you to write that one? Well, my
1: first book was actually a compilation of newspaper columns that I had written. And I don't know. I mean, I'm dating myself here, but one of my favorite columnists when I was a kid, because it was my mother's favorite columnist, was Irma Bombeck, who wrote just funny, funny life pieces. And she was a real she was kind of like. Jerry Seinfeld for the household set, you know, like the housewife set, she um, she had an incredible talent for looking at and finding the absurdity in everyday life. And as a young parent, you know, raising kids and all that, that was the kind of thing, because it's insane. I mean, raising children is just utter madness. and And life in general can be utter madness. So that was the thing that kind of drew me. So that was the first book I wrote, but it really started and cemented for me the importance of humor in pretty much everything I write. Now my work is a little different. A lot of my things are are based in humor. The first book was called Everyday Adventures, or as my husband says, lies, lies, and more lies, because he said everything I wrote about him was a lie. It wasn't. (laughs) Maybe a little exaggerated. But then the next two books, the next one was Not Ready for Granny Panties, which was obviously geared towards women of a certain age. The next one was The Woman's Book of Dirty Words. And then I I had a life experience that shifted things a little bit. Uh, no, a lot, a little bit. That's the understatement of the year. And that book became different in terms of of the intent, but there was still humor in it because... Although the the intent was to teach lessons, I find that the best way to teach is to make people laugh because they remember
0: things then. Yes, yes. Being that our specialty is like nonfiction, personal development, business acumen one of my pillars is you can't tell somebody how to do something. Mm-mm. You've got to either relate it to a real life experience when they're funny, even better because people laugh, they internalize it and they go, how the hell could that happen? And they're like, Oh wait, I did that yesterday. Exactly. Yeah, exactly
1: that. And my experience was, and I'll just give them the brief version of this in 2010, I found out that my son was a heroin addict. He not that he was like, you know, Greg Brady one minute and then, you know, and then he was an addict the next, but it had built up and built up and something happened. He overdosed on Mother's Day and we found out that heroin was his drug of choice, even though he couldn't get it that day, it was something else. But even in that, even in those moments and in that experience, I had to look for some sort of humor, even if it was dark humor, even if it was that, you know, darkly comic black humor kind of a thing where you're exactly what you said before like how the hell did this happen you know you have those experiences in life where you're looking around you and everything's crashing and crashing and burning and you almost get into that hysterical laughter state With the joker yeah exactly and you're looking around and going everything's burning how did this happen but there's a way that experience is something that everybody's had So when you can relate that to one of the most horrible experiences a person can have and have somebody go, Oh my God, you know, and just feel that moment. That's when you've got them.
0: Yeah. And as a writer, you know, anyone you mentioned earlier, being shy, a little awkwardly uh, socially awkward. And as a writer, those are those moments where you can shed that Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: get it out there and kind of be more at peace with yourself because that's not something you'd walk up to someone at a cocktail party and talk about. Right. But when you're and most people wouldn't even put it in words if no one else was going to read it, but to be able to get it on paper, I guarantee you, you said it yourself, maybe not everybody, that particular situation, but everybody in the world can relate to some tragic moment in their life that made them take note and say, Oh my God, yeah. things are not quite right here.
1: Yeah, exactly. A- exactly. And uh, again, it's, it's about building that common ground with your reader. Regardless of what, I mean, I don't care if you're writing a, a math textbook, you know, you have to reach them somewhere and somehow that not only is the mind engaged, but that they feel something and that they get excited or interested or engaged or emotionally connected. There's got to be something that makes that attachment And to keep somebody going on to read the next thing, you know, and look at it in terms of of the most basic thing. I mean, the Super Bowl is coming up in a couple of weeks At the time we're recording this. And what a lot of people who hate football watch the Super Bowl for the ads, the ads, because they're funny, they're engaging. And and guess what, folks, that stuff was written. You know, like somebody didn't just come in and spout that off. That was carefully written and planned for with the intention of getting people like me who don't like football to watch the Super Bowl. And I do it.
0: That is such a great point. And that relates to that goes so far beyond that, right? Anything you hear on the radio, TV, like people take for granted movies. Someone wrote the movie. Someone wrote your favorite Netflix show. Someone wrote that catchy little jingle that you make fun of, but you can't get out of your head.
1: Yeah, and if people don't realize it, that's when you know you got them. That's when you know you did the right job, because that's when they're not conscious of the fact that this was a scripted word. All they're conscious of is the fact that it reached them somehow or another, that they felt something, that they laughed, that they were interested, that they were engaged. And that's when a writer has done his or her job. When they, as, a, as the entity who created it, fade into the background and whatever they've written becomes the thing, the piece of interest, the, you know, the little diamond, the gem.
0: You know, the same, I can think of the same being said for books, right? If someone is so engrossed in something you wrote that they don't even realize who wrote it or they no longer care, most people would think that's counterintuitive, but that's when you've done your job. Because exactly. some people will only read a certain author because it's a certain author. But if someone could pick up a book and get into it and have no idea you wrote it or that I wrote it, You did your job.
1: Right. but And plus, to your point, though, people read a certain author because that author has that effect on them. They don't read an author because, oh, I want to hear what, you know, so-and-so had to say. They read that author because that author gets to them and takes them to a different place. I mean, unless they're personally engaged with the author and know the person, who cares? You know, like, I mean, no offense to the greatest authors in the world, but who cares? As long as you're doing your job, and you can reach people, people will read you and identify with you and your work. And that's great if you can build that up, because that means that you have created that environment. But that in itself is the goal, not to be, you know, JK Rowling, to engage like JK Rowling does.
0: Right, for your message and your audience. Correct, correct. I got a newsflash, folks. Not everybody loves J.K. Rowling. Not everybody loves Stephen King. Yes, they they may just be the most popular, but your goal is not to write something that everyone loves because it's impossible.
1: Oh, good God. I can't even please my three kids. Like, you're going to please the whole world? No, that's not going to happen. You can't do that.
0: If I please 50% of the people I come in contact with in a day, I'm happy.
1: Oh, my gosh, (laughs) and that's a win. I mean, that is winning you know, Charlie Sheen crazy and all winning because we just don't, we don't get that. And we shouldn't try because when you try to please everyone, you end up pleasing no one because your work is so diluted. It's so all over the place. You have to have a voice. You have to pick a subject. You have to pick a perspective. All of those things matter. And guess what? Some people are going to hate it. Fine, good. Go read something else. Let the other people come to me. That's great.
0: If I didn't know better, I'd think I paid you for this interview because <laughs> I literally tell everyone they're like, "Oh, if you write for everybody, you write for nobody." Exactly. You
1: you you know what? Writing is about a personality. People want to relate to your personality. They want to relate to that again, I'll go back to that feeling that it gives them. People don't read or study, I mean, obviously if you're, you know, clearly taking a test or whatever you study for that fact. But when somebody is voluntarily picking up a book or something that's, that's written or reading it, you know, online, they do it because it makes them, it's attracting them for some reason. You're just not going to attract everybody. I mean, you know, like look back at your high school days. Were you attracted to everybody? Was everybody attracted to you? No. So it's the same way with this. It's just different, you know, different details. The specs are different the theory's the same.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Penn Podcast, produced by Penn for Hire. Do you struggle with finding affordable and reliable proofreaders? Are you tired of the AI software that doesn't always understand human language? Penn for Hire has an extensive network of professionals we can refer you to to help. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get your free consultation today. And now back to the interview. There's a reason there's so many different genres of writing. There's a reason there's so many different types of music. There's a reason there's so many types of cars. Different I think shows. back to the Henry Ford statement, right? Everyone can have a Model T so long as it's black. Yeah, exactly. The are gone, right? Everyone has their own style. And if you can't appeal to their style, you're just, you're gonna fall short.
1: You know, and truthfully, would you want, I mean, would you want everybody to be writing for everyone else? There would be, there's no variety. There's no level of interest. You have to pick a lane. It just comes down to that. You got to pick a
0: lane. So at the end of the day, I'm curious your standpoint on this. When you sit down to write, who are you writing for first and foremost? Myself.
1: Myself. From the perspective that I write because I have a story to tell. So it starts there. That's just the very beginning piece of it. It starts there because there's something here that I I need, and I mean need. Like I said to you, if you're a writer and you don't get this stuff out, your head's going to explode. There's something that I need to convey. But right on the heels of that is, who am I writing this for? Who am I trying to reach in the sense of, how am I going to phrase this? How am I going to, you know, talk about this? And and first, first draft is me. It's, it's all me. First draft is me. And, and then I will go back and I'll say, okay, you know, this concept, like it's landing with me, is it going to land with everybody? And then you can kind of go back and put your, you know, I hate, I hate the term avatar because it just, it just sounds so, you know, science fiction-y and all. But then you can kind of go back and look at your people, you know, your your tribe, your people that you're writing this for. And and then you can go, all right, is, is this person going to get it? You know, does it make sense? And that's when you bring your editor in too.
0: I love it. I cringe when I hear people ask me like, what are the most popular categories right now or what genre is selling the best? Cause I don't know. I don't care. And honestly, I was just
1: going to say, I don't care. I'm glad you said that. Cause I, right? don't
0: I don't care. And if your goal is to write, I don't know, erotic cowboy Western, but you know nothing about it and you don't enjoy it. It doesn't matter if it's the top selling category on Amazon right now, the readers of that category are going to know you don't know anything about it and you're going to fall short.
1: Exactly. I mean, you know, the written word doesn't fool people. It you can't fool people when you write. Because people it's the written word is is it has eyes. It it has eyes. Like people read and they look at it and they go, "This is a bunch of, you know, like crap." They can see right through it. You have to be genuine. You have to be authentic. And and it's not that people haven't, have not written inauthentic books because many of them have, but they're found out. They're always found out. I mean, unless they're a fiction writer and that's the thing, they're found out.
0: But you know what? There's even inauthentic, there's people who write fiction where they have no desire or no knowledge. They don't put the effort in there. I can say for certain, like certain genres, historical fiction. If you're not willing to do the research of what actually existed in the 1700s, don't you dare put, you know, a Zippo lighter in a cowboy's pocket because readers of that genre are going to know immediately you're a yeah. fraud now and you're done. And that's the worst part of it. You know, you, you, you
1: don't want to ever put anything out there that makes people think they don't know what they're talking about because that that doesn't go away. You know, you get that kind of a label early on, like, oh, they're just blowing smoke. You're, you're done. I mean, you know, get a pen name, color your hair, reinvent yourself because you aren't going to publish anything that sells under your own name after that.
0: Absolutely. Oh my goodness. That, that was so true. So what do you, I know we're just coming up about time and I want to give you an know, opportunity to tell everyone where to find your book, but what do you have coming up? Cause we spoke about a lot, a lot about what you've done. Yeah. What projects do you have coming up that you're the most excited about?
1: Well, I actually started working with a partner on a program called brilliantly resilient. It's actually the latest book I've written. So that's something that we're, we started it during the pandemic. And it it's it's really about recognizing, as we've said, what your brilliance is. Don't do things that are not your brilliance. You know, when your mama told you you could do anything you wanted? Well, you can't. So, <laughs> so stick with your brilliance. And it's about helping people to, to, to realize that. But I also, the last book that I wrote on for myself and on my own was called The 15 Minute Master. And it was really about how, I crafted my response to my son's addiction 15 minutes at a time. And it turned into a process. So I'm doing a lot of speaking about that and working with the addiction community. It's, it's called 15 How to Make Everything Better, 15 Minutes at a Time. And it's a process that's three basic questions, one action step, and it, it helps to make things better. So that's really a cause that's near and dear to my heart. So I'm going to be working a lot with that book.
0: I love it i love passion projects you can really tell when someone takes it where it's coming from and it's coming from a place of experience understanding and wanting to share that message and help others maybe not go through it or get through it in a better way
1: yeah that's and any kind of suffering i think to me or or pain if you don't do something with it it just becomes another lousy story you know, that, that you get to hang on to and sit in. And I didn't want to do that. So this is kind of my my gift to everyone who's had to go through that experience. And it, it actually, the whole system works for many, many other things, you know, just to take things, what can I do? What should I do? What am I going to do? And all that stuff, you can find it at Bontempo.com. That's where Fantastic. I'm at.
0: Fantastic, because there are enough lousy stories out there. Please do not add to them. Make your story great. <laughs> I love what you're doing. I hope that everyone listening heads over to your website. We always appreciate when our listeners support our guests. I'm sure you can, everyone can learn something from Mary Fran's writing. Once again, I greatly appreciate you taking the time to be here today with on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And my further, I swear I did not pay Mary Fran for (laughs) any of that. It just really reinforces. And and I feel so good about this when I know I'm not just blowing smoke because sometimes I'm like, where did I get that from? But When other writers who are doing this are successful or selling books feel the same way, just makes me feel like I'm on the right track and we all need that validation sometimes. So thank you.
1: Well, I appreciate it, Matt. I mean, hey, great
0: minds, right? Absolutely. (laughs) I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm hoping everyone listening did as well. Head over to Mary Fran's website. We'll catch you all in the next episode. And Mary Fran, once again, thank you so much. Thank you,
1: Matt. Really enjoyed it.
0: My pleasure, me too.